1: Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Friday. This is a special edition of Fearless with Jason Whitlock. We are honored to be joined live in studio by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. He's a Democratic presidential candidate. Uh, He's he's the most uh, courageous man uh, that I believe I've, I've ever interviewed. And I said that Uh, when he joined John Stockton and Ken Maurer and other people that we had a COVID special that uh, many of you uh, remember when we talked about all the vaccine injuries and all the injuries caused because of COVID, Uh, Robert Kennedy uh, Jr. came in and was with us then and I said it then and I say it now. And I've interviewed a lot of interesting people and a lot of people that uh, think Uh, or we believe have displayed a lot of courage, either on an athletic field or even in a uh, even in the political realm. But when I say I believe this is the most courageous man I've ever interviewed, I really mean it. Uh, He's bold. He's taking on the Democrat establishment. Uh, Obviously, we know the price that his father and uncle paid. Uh, doing similar things that he's doing right now. And so, uh, Robert Kennedy Jr., thank you so much for uh, coming back and spending some time with us today. Uh, I I do want to add one other thing to the audience, just because I'm a very transparent person. Uh, I provided, not at his request, but I told Mr. Kennedy and his staff, hey, here's what I want to talk to you about. And it's not, I wasn't trying to do him any kind of favor. I just... He's so brilliant. I don't want to waste his time and I want him to be prepared. And it's, I don't have some fear. Anyway, I just like to be transparent with the audience. We've gone over what we're going to talk about. Mr. Kennedy has told me since sitting down, we can talk about anything. He's not afraid of any. He's not afraid of anything. You know that. Anyway, so, Mr. Kennedy, thank you so much uh, for joining us. What what brings you to Nashville? And Jason,
2: thanks for having me back. And thanks for those very, very kind and undeserved words. But you're very kind. Um, I'm here doing a couple of fundraisers. So um, I did one last night and I think we're doing a, a uh, meet and greet like a rally today, um, and I've been in. Uh, I spent the last week in South Carolina and Virginia, and uh, I then go to New York and then Kansas. So I'm pretty much on the road for two months.
1: So I want to start with President Trump, former President Trump, just because he was mugshotted, arrested yesterday, had to post bail in Atlanta. Uh, we've seen nineteen of. His peers, colleagues, people that work for him mugshotted having to uh, post bail in Atlanta. What is your reaction to that? For me, I, I look at it and say, man, we've really become a banana republic. We're really persecuting our political opposition. But what? what's your take?
2: Well, you know, I've, well, I've, I know, now you're, you're gonna, you know, all of your words about, me at the outset are going are gonna to seem um, uh, uh, vain, but I, I, you know, I have not been commenting on uh, on the legal actions either against the Biden side or the Trump side, and the reason for that is I really don't feel like I have anything to add. It's a judicial, um, it's a judicial process now, and it, it's a it's an issue that polarizes people either way and so i've been trying to focus not on the issues that divide us but the issues that bring people together and trying to you know find a middle ground for americans where it is just a place of common sense and stays away as much as possible from some of the culture war issues that divide us and focuses on the issues that are really concerning america like you know what is happening to our economy and what what is you know what is the um, you know, this level of desperation in the American middle class as they, um, as they, you know, watch their decline as the first generation in history that doesn't, uh, in American history, that believes that their children are going to be worse off than they, they are. There's a poll that came out this week that said that only 39% of Americans between 18 and 35 are proud to be American. And proud of our country, and that's one of the most heartbreaking data points that I've seen. Um, but, you know, we're, we're seeing a level of economic stratification and financial desperation in this country that we've never seen, and I try to focus on those issues. Um, so, let me- I, you know, I, I've spoken elsewhere um, about the weaponization of some of the of uh, federal agencies, of uh, the enforcement agencies, which I, I think we've seen you know, in many contexts, including deployed against me. Um, you know, Judge Doty's decision, 155 page decision in Missouri versus Biden. Um, I'm part of that case. I filed a case called uh, Kennedy versus Biden. Um, And that has now been consolidated with the the case that was brought by the two attorney generals from Missouri and Louisiana. And that's an extraordinary federal judge decision where he ordered the White House to have no more further contact with any of the social media sites. And and he outlines what happened. And the reason I'm part of that is I was the first person who was censored by the Biden administration uh, 37 hours after uh, President Biden took the oath of office, White House officials were in contact with uh, high level, top level White House officials with Twitter and Facebook asking them to take down my accounts. And they were, you know, none of the information that I was putting those on, on those accounts was false. And they acknowledge that they they developed a, you know, they, they said they were trying to ban misinformation and disinformation. In my case, they had to invent a new word, which is called malinformation. And that is information that is true, but nevertheless inconvenient to the White House.
1: I want to ask, and I appreciate and respect that answer, but I want to reframe the question then, because you made a comment after... Uh, days are running, Wednesday's presidential debate on the GOP side, that the candidates are out of sync with the public. And, and and I think you referenced Oliver Anthony Song, Richmond, north of Richmond. and And the reason why I think Trump and what's going on with him is related to that and related to you, as you just pointed out, is like the establishment seems like there's a segment, a large segment, of the American population that they don't want to have a voice for. And 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 Trump, whether we like it or not, speaks for a large segment of people. I think you speak for a large segment of people. and And I'm looking at corporate media, and as you just walked us through, the Biden administration trying to silence you. And I see this just as an overall Whether you're a Democrat, whether you're a Republican, whether you're a liberal, whether you're a conservative, whether you're a believer or whether you're secularist, the establishment seems to not want some of us represented, our voices and our concerns represented on the political stage. And so I just see a connection between what's going on with you and the political, what I believe, persecution of Trump.
2: Yeah, and I think that that is true. I mean, one of the things that Oliver Anthony, you know, talks about elsewhere is the um, is uh, that he really frames this as as a class war, and sees the culture war as an orchestrated, you know, where a class we where we're both black and whites um, in the uh, among the working poor are being systematically stripped mine of their wealth by what he calls Richmond, north of Richmond, in other words, inside the beltway is a collusion between corrupt corporate entities and, you know, billionaires and the the Congress that essentially functions as an, um, as indentured servants to the you know to the big corporations, and that you know um, Anthony has talked about you know how we've got to put aside the culture war, because that's kind of it's an orchestrated dispute you know that keeps blacks and whites fighting each other at that level. And, the, and, and then it, it's a distraction from the real culprits of this, which is BlackRock, Vanguard, State Street. These huge corporations that now own 88% of the S&P 500, and they're now trying to buy every uh, single-family home in America. So, you know, my, I have seven kids, all in the age when they should be moving out of the home off my payroll, and, uh, and moving into their own homes. And, and I don't know any of their friends. Uh, these are kids that are essentially below, thir- below 30, between 20 and 30. Uh, I don't know a single one of their friends who owns a home. So, and you know, you're seeing more and more of these kids who are living with their parents for extended uh, t- periods of time. The pri- and, and home ownership, which was the central promise of the American dream, the American dream was if you worked hard, if you played by the rules, you could pay a mortgage, you could get your own home, you could have a summer vacation, you could you know, take care of your family, and then you'd have money left over for retirement on one job. That was the dream, and that was the, the actual reality for people who are my age. You know, by, for my kids' age, that is just a fantasy. That's not gonna happen. The price of single family homes in the last two years, two years, has gone from $200, $215,000 two years ago to $400,000 a day. And the interest rates have gone from one to 7%. So that home is now cost 10 times what it did two years ago. And even two years ago is out of reach for a lot of these kids. And why is that happening? One is the inflation from you know all of the the wars, the lost wars that we financed over the past 20 years, eight trillion dollars that we printed, 16 trillion, we printed to um, to fund the pandemic lockdowns. So that's 24 trillion dollars that is, is you know fueling this runaway inflation that is uh, driving up the cost of food, health healthcare, of child care, of housing. But the real culprit are these giant companies, BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard, which all own each other. So it's really one giant corporation. And now they've targeted all the single family homes in America that they want to buy. And if they stay on the current trajectory, they will own 60% of the single family homes by 2030. Almost everybody I know has a story of of a friend or, or their own story of going to buy a home about to make an offer on it, or maybe they made an offer on it, and then somebody swoops in with a cash offer and takes it off the table, steals it out from them. And when you look at who that is, it's usually an LLC with some ambiguous name. But if you trace it to actually who owns it, it's BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street. So these companies are, you know, are, uh, are, you know, strip mining the equity from the American middle class and taking, you know, our land base. They're buying up the farms in this country. Um, the, uh, the, uh, today, the wages, the average wage for an American is $5,000 less than the cost of basic human needs of food, transportation, and housing. Well, that means that more than half the country has to make up that $5,000 deficit. And the way they're doing it is they're putting it on their credit cards. And so credit card debt has gone up. Um, now, this week, it hit $1 trillion. That's the highest by far in history. It went up 330 billion in the last three years alone. And those families are paying 22% on that on that debt. If the, If the mafia, that it would be called loan sharking, but for these banks and credit card companies, it's just business as usual. And who owns virtually all of those banks and credit card companies? BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard. Oh, and you know, um, we're now putting $113 billion into the the Ukraine war. Um, uh, Biden is asking for another $24 billion this week. The entire budget of CDC is $12 billion. The entire budget of EPA is twelve million. So that's all we got for the environment—twelve billion. But we have one hundred and fifty billion that we're sending over to Ukraine. Well, um, Mitch McConnell, when he was asked, "Can we afford that?" he said, "Well, it's not actually going to Ukraine. It's actually going to U.S. military contractors: Raytheon, General Dynamics, Boeing, and Lockheed." So it's just a, he admitted it's just a money laundering scheme. And who owns every one of those companies? BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard. And, and what we learned in the last couple of weeks, that one of the ways, you know, when we're loaning this money to Ukraine, it's a loan. And they got to pay it back. So we, part of their deal was that we clamped down these austerity programs on them that are, you know, just paid for by the poor. One part of that is a land market So we're forcing Ukrainian farmers to sell all of their farmland. They have the best farmland, in the breadbasket of Europe. And 28% of that farmland since the war started has now been purchased by giant corporations. And who are those corporations? Blackrock, Vanguard, and State Street. So the whole thing is rigged to strip mine wealth from the American public. And these Republicans who are, you know, we're debating this week. They—they're like 40 years behind. They're, talk, you know, they have all these platitudes from the Reagan administration. We're going to be tough on crime, tough on China, tough on Russia, tough on women who, you know, on bodily autonomy, tough on the environment. You know, we're going to plow down Appalachia to get at the coal. And it's all, you know, kind of these shibboleths and platitudes. Um, and they really nobody can do anything about those things you know in a lot of ways but none of them talked about what's happening to americans who are, who just can't pay their bills
1: anymore so and, 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 and i'm and the I'm, problem
2: of corporate corruption that has stolen well, you know our democracy I,
1: i'm 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 going to move on but i uh, but i got to just for i want you to understand t- take me <laughs> My dad didn't graduate high school, my mother was a factory worker, Uh, they loved the Kennedys and that whole era. And and I graduated college, I only went to college because I was a football player, and so I graduated from Ball State University with a 2.3. My whole mindset and worldview is working class, and and I've made for most Americans a lot of money and, and have attained some level of the American dream and success. the only reason I can follow and understand and support everything you just said is because of Donald Trump. He opened my eyes to the level of corruption, made me do the research so that I could even follow what you just said and fully understand it. And that's why I have a sense of loyalty. And I think a lot of people have a sense of loyalty. And he's the reason why I have so much respect for you. And, and understand, and, and I said, cause Trump's taking a risk and he's being somewhat courageous for different reasons. But I understand how much more courageous you are given your family's history and what you're taking on. And so that, that's why it's hard for me not to begin a conversation talking about Trump. Because when I start thinking about, cause you argued that we're being divided, blacks, whites, and it's all just a game. And, and I see him as central to opening people's minds up so that we can get past some of these superficial differences and completely understand exactly what you're talking about and do something about
2: it. Let me ask you something about that. What, can, can you tell me what it was that, and I've seen you know Dave, Dave Chappelle's, um, yeah. you know, his routine on Donald Trump was brilliant. And I think, you know, but is that can you tell me specifically? Was it was it
1: that his inauguration speech. He okay. talked about manufacturing jobs and them all being overseas. And it and I, I remember when I watched it. I didn't watch it the day of the inauguration. I ended up watching it sometime afterwards and I, I sent it to my mother. I go, Mama, he's talking about us. My mother was a factory worker for AT&T. My dad was started out as a factory worker and then opened a bar that catered to factory workers. And I've seen the destruction of all the manufacturing jobs leaving these urban areas. It left my east side of Indianapolis, which was very nice. Now it's one of the most notorious, infamous places in Indianapolis, very dangerous, the far east side of Indianapolis. My high school's still there, I'm still very connected. But because Western Electric and some of these other factories have left that area, it's, I'm sorry, it's a shit show. Mm-hmm. And, and and so that, listening to his inauguration speech, it hit home with me because I love factory workers. I spent my whole life around them at my dad's bar. I, I, I'm, I can't, to be honest, I can't stand elites. That's why it's so amazing, I like you and Trump. <laughs> but, but I do. Uh, but but I, I just, it doesn't matter how much money I make, it doesn't matter what zip code I live in, I'm always going to prefer working class people because of that. And Trump opened my eyes up to the rig job and the game, and it, it was his inauguration speech initially, and then it was just other, he, he just, he his base, despite the color differences, his base looks like the kind of people... I prefer to be around.
2: And did you feel like? I mean, were there other things that he did? Just, just the. the I, I guess it, it was the fact that it looked like the whole institution of government was like against him. Um, is that what kind of con, was confirmed your? Uh,
1: yes, that, that, that and and I've done a and I'm kind of, I don't know if I'm directly answering your question but I've done a lot of research or for my level of research on what happened to your uncle and 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 so he he helped confirm in my mind like oh man the, the, there is a shadow government there is a uh group of people very powerful that are actually pulling the strings and they're convincing. You gotta understand, I'm a journalist as well. And so I started examining like, look at all the lies that got told around JFK's assassination. Um, Look at, Dan Rather went on TV. I saw the video with my own eyes talking about JFK's head went forward then backwards. He was a nobody at the time and now he's the second coming of Walter Cronkite. How did that happen? How could someone's career start on a lie and then become the most trusted journalist? Me being a journalist, and then me seeing how hostile the journalism industry became against me because I actually prefer truth. And, and so, also when the fa- the fake false news, the what's he what's he called fake news? Fake news, oh, yeah. fake news that rang home with me, and because I understand it. But but I, I'm just telling you that the kind of things that you're arguing today, most people, or at least I can want not speak for most people, I couldn't grasp or understand until Trump, and 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 now I do grasp it, and that that's why again I'm an unabashed supporter of yours. Even we're we'll gonna get to some things I completely disagree with you on affirmative action, disagree with you on abortion but I still like and respect you because I think you're coming from an honest place and that's all I require. And I feel like all these other politicians are just lying to us and, yeah. and ripping us off. Yeah,
2: I feel that way too. And I feel like the press, I don't feel that way. It is that way. They're all lying and it's uh, it's really extraordinary. I mean, the government, We, you know, if you don't think the government's lying to you, you're not paying attention. You're just not paying attention.
1: and. Uh, let me move to this. I wanted to ask you, you. I saw two weeks ago, three weeks ago. I saw. I read it on your Twitter feed, and I was like, "Oh my God! They won't give this man Secret Service? Are you? That's outrageous to me. Is is that still the case? That you're not? Uh, I, I was surprised about that, but um. Because, uh, you know, I, I mean,
2: I get death threats all the time. I get, you know, my, my family history is, uh, you know, it speaks for itself. I had, I guess, three weeks ago, I had a mentally ill person make it to the second story at my house. I had a speech that I was giving this week um, in, uh, in South Carolina, um, almost shut down because of death threats. And so, um, you know, clearly I should be getting it. In, in fact, there's never been, you know, you and the, the media has lied about what the rules are. Well, the media says, well, he's not entitled to, uh, to Secret Service because um, you only get Secret Service 120 days out from the election. And that, but what the law says is you get 120, you get it 120 days out. From the election automatically, and that uh, law was uh, passed after my father was assassinated. Because originally they only gave it to the once you not got the nomination. Now you get it. One hundred. Everybody gets one hundred twenty days out if they if they pass certain metrics, like more than fifteen percent of polling for thirty days. Um, but. Uh, and then my uncle was given it, my uncle Teddy was given it by President Carter, um, he, uh, I think uh, 551 days out, he, and my uncle Teddy wasn't even running at that point. But, you know, Car- and Carter and he were had this tremendous antipathy for each other, and Teddy ended up running against him, but Carter was a classy guy uh, and, you know, and gave it to Teddy. Obama got it about, I think, uh, 500 days out. Um, uh, John McCain was offered it 551 days out. Jesse Jackson got it. Shirley Chisholm got it. You know, you go down a list, and it's uh, 30 or 40 candidates have gotten it further out than me, and uh, and the White House. Um, as you know, we gave them a 67-page uh, document, including the threads and all of the you know documentation about why I deserved it. I'm the first presidential candidate in history that requ- that meets the metrics that requested um, uh, that requested secret service protection and was denied. You know, the, the president has the ability to give anybody secret service protection. John Bolton has it. You know they, there are many people who work for the honor. Biden has it, people who work for the government or people who have associations with the government who have long ago retired and continue to get it. Um, and so you know it, it's odd. It's an odd choice for President Biden to uh, decide not to give it to me.
1: Did you know that every day, Preborn's network of clinics experiences two hundred miracles? How? Preborn gives women with unplanned pregnancies a window into their womb through free ultrasounds, introducing them to the beautiful life growing inside. When she meets her child inside her womb and hears that heartbeat, the chance of the baby's life doubles. Because of the generosity of you and me, we donate just $28 to sponsor an ultrasound. $140 sponsors five ultrasounds doesn't matter what you give, it all works. It all goes towards paying for ultrasounds and saving babies' lives. The cost of a dinner can save a baby's life. All gifts are tax deductible and go entirely to saving babies. Someday, you may need a baby. You may meet a baby that you rescued and you can give them a hug. Or maybe they'll give you a hug. Maybe they'll even save your life as they grow and pursue meaningful careers. One thing is for sure, You will never regret saving a child's life because a life is a miracle. Please donate your best gift today. Just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250, keyword baby. Or you can give the way that I love to give. Go to preborn.com slash fearless. That's preborn.com slash fearless.
0: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
1: Part of the hostility towards you, and there's a number of reasons, but part of it is obviously you've been so outspoken on how we handled COVID and big pharma. And, and uh, I want to play a clip of Alex Jones saying that the mass mandates are coming back. And I, I want your reaction to it. Is he right? Are they going to do it all over again?
0: Ladies and gentlemen, I got a call yesterday. An individual was in town. And they wanted to meet with me that I know well. And they are a high level manager. In the TSA, they said you got to warn people. Tuesday, we got called in, the managers, and told that by the middle of September, that the new policy is being written, that this is done. They were told this is happening, this is not hypothetical. You will all have to wear a mask again, and so will airport employees. Then by the middle of October, they are going to say that everyone flying has to wear a mask. And in the meetings, people began to ask them, well, I mean, why is this happening? They said, well, because of the new variant in Canada and because of the WHO, they may declare this. But regardless, we've been told this is going to happen.
1: How should we react if if that does happen, if there is some new variant? What should we have learned from the last time? What should we do different?
2: Well, I mean, you know, people should do their own research and they, you know, but the research out there, and CHD has posted all of these studies on the, on its website, This Children's Health Defense, which, you know, it's one of the first things that I did when they had, mm-hmm. Mass mandates—the last time around, as I said, let's see what the actual science says about mass, and what the actual science says is that they don't work to um, to prevent the spread of uh, respiratory viruses. And there's, you know, study after study. In fact, the CDC has admitted that they're not scientific base. Oh, it, um, you know, I think it's disturbing if they do do that again, but. You know, one of the things that happened is we created this terrible precedent where um, where the government has shown that people are willing to comply when it when it, uh, when it violates the Constitution, and we did this with free expression. We did, you know, they closed the churches. Uh, a year with no due process, no just compensation, no um, no scientific citations ever. They never showed us a scientific citation that said this works, and they've all admitted that. Now you know everybody's admitted in the government that these were not science based. Um, they shut down. Uh, you know, for, for black Americans, it was, uh, you know, it, it really shouldered the disproportionate burden of the injury from these mandates. Uh, they closed 3.3 million businesses with no due process, no just compensation, no public hearings, no notice and comment rulemaking, all of the, uh, the instrumentalities of democracy were utterly ignored, and you had just one unelected bureaucrat who's been there for 50 years, never won an election, who is, uh, says that one week, masks don't work, honestly, said it privately and publicly, and then a month later, everybody put them on, and then a week after that, put two on. Oh, that the arbitrary, the capriciousness of those mandates was obvious to anybody who had any kind of skepticism or capacity for critical thought. And, you know, uh, 41% of black-owned businesses at close will never reopen. Oh, I, you know, you talked about Milwaukee. I was in the Lee Harvard um, neighborhood of Cleveland a couple of weeks ago, and it, you know, all of these businesses that were flourishing businesses are all boarded up, you know, and some of them had, Three generations four generations of, of equity, of sweat equity, of, um, of investment from, from African-American families, and they're gone. I, you know, I sat down for an hour with a, a woman who owned one of the last functioning businesses, black-owned businesses in the neighborhood, which was an 80-year-old sausage company. And she was she's about to close. This three weeks ago. Because uh, the inflation and the, the higher interest rates now that all come from you know, printing six, $16 trillion um, have now uh, made it impossible for black-owned businesses to get loans. Because the local community banks, which are the only ones that serve those communities, um, their treasury bills have, have dropped in value and they now are hoarding their liquidity. And they, you know, there's no, I mean, you, you see that these uh, black communities now starved for liquidity. There's no money available to businesses even when they're flourishing businesses. And it's just systematically taking wealth, robbing wealth out of these communities. Well, um, the, the biggest, since the pandemic, the biggest cause of death in black teens is suicide. Um, We, the children during the pandemic, according to the Brown University study that anybody can look up, toddlers lost 22 IQ points. The kids, a third of kids uh, will, uh, uh, you know, who went through the lockdowns in in elementary school are gonna uh, require remedial education for the rest of their careers. They will never reach income levels that they would have reached because that's dictated by how you do in high school. It's very, very, you know, it's a, it's a strong statistical correlate. Um, you know, they went into, like, I, you know, where I live up in, I live in uh, Brentwood in, in, um, in LA, and I go surfing up in, um, up at Point Dew in Malibu. And they, the police came onto the beach and we're giving $1,000 tickets to surfers who are out in the ocean, sending them home when there's a disease that doesn't spread outdoors and where, you know, sunlight protects you because it creates vitamin D. And they're sending them indoors where they're going to get it. On black neighborhoods, they were going in Compton and Watts and Lee, Harvard and Harlem. They're going into, uh, you know, black neighborhoods and padlocking the, the basketball courts. And, and where they couldn't padlock them, they were removing the rims from the basketball hoops to keep people from doing something that was actually keeping them healthy. The only indicia, and you know, for black kids, now they're at home. And as you know, there's a real problem in urban black neighborhoods in the summertime because black kids are not getting nutrition. You know, they're eating potato chips and they're scrounging and, you know, not having any kind of regular meals. The only decent food they get is when the schools open and now you sh- shut down the schools. And uh, and the only indicia of, you know, of social deterioration that actually improved during the pandemic was child abuse. The, the number of um, reported uh, abused children went down. But that wasn't real. It was the artifact of reporting requirements because um, or reporting systems because most child abuse is uh, is reported by the schools. And we cl- closed the schools and we locked those kids at home with their abusers. 55% of American teens, black and white, reported suffering abuse during the uh, during the pandemic and 13% um, uh, physical abuse. That number is five times what it was before the pandemic. Uh, And then you look at what we did internationally, there were 10,000 African African children dying a week from starvation because of the lockdowns. And I think 270,000 um, kids except brown-skinned kids in South Asia who died from from starvation. And then another 50,000 died from malaria um, because they couldn't get malaria treatment like quinine. And, you know, ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, which are, you know, so they couldn't get that during the pandemic. And it was just, you know, the, the mayhem to black kids all over the world. One of the interesting things, Jason, is that we were told at the beginning of the pandemic that, you know the, the, the people who were going to really get destroyed by COVID were going to be people in places like Haiti and Africa because they wouldn't be able to get vaccines. So, but what really happened? Black Americans were dying at the rate of over 3,000 um, COVID deaths per million population. They they're, they're the highest. COVID death rate, blacks in this country. In Haiti, they were dying at a rate of 14 per million population, they only had one, 1.3% vaccination rate, and they were dying at a rate 1 200th of American kids. Nigeria, 1 uh, or 15 per million population, 1 200th of American blacks. Why is that? Well, part of the reason is that they're younger. Those are younger populations, and, and the and COVID targeted the elderly, but that doesn't explain it all. And for example, Japan, which had the, which has the oldest population in the world, had one tenth the death rate that we did. So why were American blacks dying at these extraordinary rates? Why did we have the highest death rate from COVID on earth? We have we have four point two percent of the world's population. We had 16% of the world's COVID deaths. Why did that happen? Nobody answered that question. Oh, you know, Anthony Fauci has 4.2 billion dollar budget. He's got 56,000 scientists at uh, universities all over the world doing research on any question that he wants answered. Why wouldn't you ask that question? Tell us why blacks in Haiti were dying at one two hundredth the rate of blacks in America, and we predicted that blacks in Haiti would die at 10 times the rate of blacks in America. Why didn't it work out that way. What did we do wrong in this country that was slaughtering black Americans? And, you know, I can think of a lot of reasons why that happened. One of the reasons is just disproportionate access to decent health care that you... you Take poor people, you put them in a hospital and don't allow their family to visit so nobody's watching what's happening, and you're then paying the
1: hospitals per COVID death and, you know, incentivizing hospitals. I also think, though, you can break someone's will to live. And 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 we do that on a daily basis yes. to black people in America. Hey, you can't make it here. This country is totally unfair to you. You might as well kill yourself because your life's going to be miserable and your kids' life's going to be miserable. Broken will is one, and then two. I, I don't want. I, I keep it a hundred percent real here on this show. Our obesity rate in yeah. the black community.
2: Oh, no, the, the chronic disease rate yeah. on blacks is huge. Yeah. I, the things that. Kill people with COVID, diabetes, um, obesity, uh, lousy foods, low vitamin D. Every black in America has low vitamin D, and there was a direct correlation between uh, vitamin D deficiencies and COVID death. Asthma, I think now um, one out of every eight uh, black kids has asthma uh, in urban areas, um, and and the, these were the comorbidities that were killing people in COVID. So, the chronic disease, we have the highest chronic disease rate in the world, and blacks have the highest chronic disease rates among Americans. Uh, you know, that's something that, um, you know, that, that's something the government should be worried about. You know, that's a crisis. The, the people who died from COVID, um, according to CDC, the average American who died from COVID had 3.8 chronic diseases. Oh, it wasn't COVID that was killing Americans. It was, COVID put them over the edge of the cliff, but they were already standing at the edge of the cliff because of chronic disease. And why aren't we addressing that issue? You know, why weren't we telling people you need to take vitamin D, you need to stop drinking big gulps, you know, and uh, exercise, and,
1: and go and exercise, out and walk, go outside, eat less, all, 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 all kinds of just common sense things. You must, and we must, start taking care of our liver right now. Why? Because the latest data from the American Heart Association indicates that adults with fatty liver were three and a half times more likely to have heart failure than those without. The American Liver Foundation says that 100 million Americans have fatty liver, which means many people are at risk. We we throw everything at our livers, cholesterol, alcohol, toxins, Tylenol, Cigarettes, that's why so many of us have a sluggish, fatty liver that makes us gain weight and lose energy. For decades now, your liver helped you with over 500 key functions every day. It's time you help your liver. There is a solution, Liver Health Formula. It's an all natural supplement which contains 12 clinically proven botanicals that help recharge and protect your liver. Manufactured right here in the USFA and approved by the American doctors. So, if you're looking to ignite your fat burning metabolism, boost your energy and transform how you look and feel, try Liver Health Formula and receive a free bottle of blood sugar formula to reduce sugar cravings when you order today. Try Liver Health Formula by going to getliverhelp.com slash Jason and claim your free bonus gift. That's getliverhelp.com slash Jason. I wanna to move to climate change Because Vivek Ramaswamy said something interesting, uh, I think on the debate stage, but also maybe other places where he basically said he thinks climate change is a hoax. You, on the other hand, at one point has been quoted saying that climate change deniers should be jailed. Uh, what do you think of the yeah, banks? Well that
2: That's there- not what I was saying. And that, that, you know, tape has been floating around, but if you actually look at the whole tape, they were asking me about the Koch brothers. And, you know, the Koch brothers had, um, Koch Energy had these, was the biggest lawbreaker, environmental lawbreaker in the country. It was, um, you know, it has these pet coke piles in Detroit and Chicago that were blowing pet coke down on uh, black communities, and you know, causing illness, death, cancer, et cetera, and um, and then you know, they they you know have been cited again and again and again for killing people with environment, with environmental violations that were criminal, and so my. Um, you know, my feeling is that yeah, people who if you if you kill somebody with a bullet, you know, you you gotta go to jail. If you kill somebody with a, with dioxin, you ought to go to jail too. Environmental crime is real crime, and it has real victims. Um, and that, um, but I believe the climate is not only real. The, the, the connection, the anthropogenic. Um, addition of methane, carbon, other molecules from uh, mainly from carbon fuel are um, are causing uh, climate change. I've been to the Arctic. I've watched the you know the, uh, I've seen what's happening with the you know the Arctic melting. I've been to the Antarctic. Um, what do you say I've, to those of us like we read yeah, old newspapers. Let, let, I'm let sorry, me, go ahead. Let, let me just say oh. I I don't ever insist other people share my beliefs. Um, and I also understand the skepticism that people like Vivek Ramsey and others have about federal science because they see the way that crises, including the climate crisis, are being used by, um, you know, uh, large corporations, by uh, Davos, by the World Economic Forum as an excuse to inc- to shift wealth upward. To increase the power of billionaires and large corporations to diminish democracy and to steal our rights, and every crisis, used, COVID was used for that, um, and climate issues for that. What I've said for forty years is number one: that the solution to climate is free market capitalism, and and you know, and to really all environmental crises, and the reason I say that is that. Um, is that capitalism, true free market, we don't have true free market capitalism in this country. We have corporate, crony capitalism. A true free market promotes efficiency, and efficiency means the elimination of waste, and pollution is waste. In a true free market, you, um, a true free market would require us to properly value our natural resources, and it's the undervaluation of those resources that causes us to use them wastefully. In a true free market, you can't make yourself rich without making your neighbors rich and without enriching your community. What polluters do is they make themselves rich by making everybody else poor. They raise standards of living for themselves by lowering quality of life for everybody else, and they do that by escaping the discipline of the free market. You show me a polluter, I'll show you a subsidy. I'll show you a fat cat using political clout who escaped the discipline of the free market and force the public to pay his production costs. You know, if you look, right now, we give $5.2 trillion a year to the carbon industry in subsidies. We also subsidize electric cars, um, solar energy, and wind. But those subsidies are tiny compared to carbon. If you removed everybody's subsidies, carbon would not survive even a day in the market. And, you know, right now it costs, uh, I built solar plants in this country, including two of my companies, about the two biggest ones. I built uh, wind plants. And I know the cost. So the cost of solar plant today is about a billion dollars a gigawatt. The cost of a wind plant is about 1.2 billion a gigawatt. The cost of a new coal plant is 3.6 billion a gigawatt. The cost of a nuke plant is fourteen billion a gigawatt. So you know, and then you have to store the waste for thirty thousand years, which is five times the length of recorded human history. Nobody will build a nuke plant without, unless it's all virtually one hundred percent subsidized by the government. And you know, my my feeling is you could you can make energy by burning prime rib. If you want, but why wouldn't we choose the cheapest methods? And the cheapest methods happen to be the cleanest. And that's always true if you force these companies to internalize their costs. But, you know, the more important issue is that we're cutting down the Appalachian. You know, Vivek said we got to dig more coal. Does he know what that means? Does he know what that means to the people of Appalachia? Appalachia now, you know, they're exploding uh, hundreds of tons of ammonia nitrate explosive every week in Appalachia, It's the, every day. It's the equivalent of a Hiroshima bomb once a week. They're blowing the tops off the mountains to get at the coal seams beneath. They have these giant machines that cost a half a billion dollars called drag lines and can be operated by a tiny crew of men. I can obliterate an entire ridgeline. So they've cut down the 500 biggest mountains in Appalachia. This is our Purple Mountains Majesty. These are the you know the the, the, the regions, the landscapes where Dan, Daniel Boone and Davy Crockett roamed. They're the richest ecosystems in the in North America, the Appalachians. They have uh, 86. Um, different, dominant tree species in their forest compared to three in Vermont or you know, other areas of the world and other areas of North America. And, um, and we're cutting, we're obliterating this entire mountain ridge. We've already flattened an area of the Appalachian-Large in the state of Delaware. We've buried 2,200 miles of rivers and streams. You, you fly over that, and you'll be sick to your stomach. And I spend time with the people who live there. Their wells are poisoned, their water is poisoned. They have no help, help for any kind of economic resurgence. And virtually all the money is being taken out to Wall Street, to Black Rock, State Street, and Vanguard. That's who's making money from coal in this country. Uh, and then they burn the coal and it precipitates mercury out of that geology, and that mercury ends up in our fish. Every freshwater fish in our country, and I know you like fishing, and, and but every freshwater fish in our country has now got toxic levels of mercury in its flesh. We're living in a science fiction nightmare where my children and the children of most Americans can now no longer engage in the seminal primal activity of American youth which is to go fishing with their father and mother in the local fishing hole and then come home and safely eat the fish. And whether you're Republican or Democrat, it doesn't matter. Republicans don't like that any more than Democrats. If you talk about, you know, lines on a graph and you're going to be dead when it gets here, people do not want to make sacrifices for that theoretical line when you tell somebody your water is being poisoned, there's there's sacred places that are being destroyed. Everybody, you know, in Flint, when we were fighting in Flint, there were hell's angels standing shoulder to shoulder with, with you know, with black residents saying, none of us want our, our we, what we want, fresh, good water. And then you know, I helped lead the Standing Rock protests and there were Republicans there, there were American Indians, there were blacks, there are every cross-section of America there. And they weren't there, you know, climate was part of that debate, but nobody was there for climate. Everybody was there because it was a sacred place and they didn't want to see it destroyed. And when you frame the debate like that, you know, that acid rain from those same plants is now destroying all the forest cover on the high peaks of the Appalachian from Georgia to northern Quebec. I grew up fishing in the Adirondacks. One out of every five lakes in the Adirondacks is now sterilized from acid rain. And I'm watching the oceans now acidify from those coal-burning power plants. And you're seeing, you know, the shellfish beds on the Cape and other parts of the Atlantic and Pacific. Um, can no longer mobilize calcium out of the water column. So, you know, everybody, there's no scientific question about that. Everybody recognizes it and everybody can get angry. So it's kind of focusing just on climate um, is to me is a dead end. We need to bring people together. And the way that you bring them together is, is showing them what's happening on the ground to places that they love and that's what I try to do.
1: Good segue into what's happening on the ground in Maui. And and is there, what should we make of that event? And and obviously there's conspiracy theories and there's complaints about how officials there reacted. There's a, a man I'm trying, let me make sure I can, Kalo Manuel, the former deputy director of the Hawaii Commission on Water Resource Management, allegedly waited five hours before releasing the water. The local government did not use sirens. Have you looked into Maui and do you have any thoughts about perhaps what we should feel about that?
2: Well, you know, I um, I kind of have a specialty um, where I represent people whose uh, been injured by fire, so I represented a lot of thousands of families. Um,
1: did you represent Joe Biden in the kitchen fire that <laughs> <laughs> he never called me about that. Talk. I would have got, I,
2: he needs a good lawyer for that because his Corvette uh, yeah. <laughs> may have gotten singed. But uh I represented people in the um in the Paradise Fire, you know, which killed all those people up in Northern California and then also in the Woolsey fire. Which wiped out a lot of homes in Malibu, and um, and uh, and we're still settling the, the last of those cases. But um, so and so that there, when you start researching the cases and actually deposing people and looking at documents, you've learned things all about you know these negligence, and it's hard to tell from right now whether any of that was purposeful. And I know there's a lot of um, conspiracy theories. uh, But but I would have no way, I have no light to shine on that. What I think, you know, what we do know is that um, the big agricultural interests, which mainly sugarcane and pineapple, Dole, Dole and a couple of other big companies, shut down a lot of their of their agriculture, these big monocultures, and when they shut them down, um, they uh, they were replaced by non-indigenous grasses, which burned very easily, and I think that contributed to the uh, the flames. I'm not sure if there's any way ever to hold them accountable. Um, and then, uh, probably the most obvious sort of proximate cause of the fire, which which may or may not end up being true, but um, I think there were ninety mile an hour winds. When there when there's winds that high, the in California, for example, the um, Southern California Edison Pacific Gas and Electric immediately shut down electricity to those wires because when they're when the wind is hitting them, they start they start hitting each other. And then they arc, and that creates these uh, these curtains of sparks, which then light the, the grasses. And because of that wind, it spreads, you know, in Paradise Fire, the, the fire was traveling about 60 miles an hour, the cars could not outrun it. And people died in their cars trying to escape, trying to outrun the flames. And um, and so the utilities know that when there's if they you know if they haven't insulated their wires that they better shut them down when there's uh, when there's high winds like that and that probably is you know going to be end up one of being one of the causes and one of the areas of negligence. Um, if I you know anyway I, I think you know there's already lawyers out there and the, you know and they will figure it out.
1: I I want to take a second to ask your thoughts on just Joe Biden. He's been criticized for going over to Maui late, saying some relatively silly things when he was there, comparing it to his kitchen fire. Just the guy's 80 years old, doesn't seem to be all there, at least from those of us watching from afar you're running and obviously the the democrat establishment's not happy with you challenging joe biden just your assessment of his cognitive ability and just america having leadership that just looks this weak, and this i don't i I can't better describe close to death i guess i don't know what you would call joe biden but any your thoughts on just joe biden and his ability to lead you know
2: so one of the things jason that i've tried to do is to not get personal with either of the candidates and just try to really focus on the issues and not you know be mean spirited or um uh, and there's so many openings with with both candidates to do that and it uh, and i don't want to feed into that so i've tried to stay you know, on the issues that I disagree with him on, on the war, on censorship, on managing the economy, uh, you know, for Wall Street rather than the middle class, um, putting neocons in charge, you know, and and a lot of the carbon capture uh, stuff that he's doing on on climate change, spending, well, you know, in one case, one project, $173 billion on a BlackRock project to build pipelines across Iowa, that's insane, and it you know literally will probably make uh, um, it will probably increase carbon um, emissions into the atmosphere. It's just a huge boondoggle, and there's things that we ought to be doing um, you know for the environment just in general. And but that's just a waste of money. It's just funneling money to BlackRock. So I criticize them on those issues. Let me move you to further. I do not think that he's giving us, I think we need really strong leadership at this point in history. We need really strong, we need thoughtful leadership. We need people who will listen to both sides of the aisle. We'll take the best ideas from everybody and, and um, start applying common sense to, to shift us away from, you know, the, uh, to, to unwise, unravel the empire, to unravel corporate capture in Washington, D.C. All of these things are tricky. And I don't I, it doesn't seem to me that he's up to that, that he's got the strength to do those things.
1: Big tech and big data have shown us time after time that they're not on our side. And yes, we're giving them access to record our personal lives 24 seven through our phones. Even when your phone is off, the microphones and cameras and location trackers still work. And that's just the tech people. What about your personal security when it comes to that crazy ex-girlfriend, someone stalking you or even trying to blackmail you? It happens more than you might think. This is why I use the Refuge Ghost Sleeve. It's made in America from American Buffalo leather and it blocks 5G signals that other Faraday sleeves miss and the only Faraday sleeve that blocks signal and sound. They added sound blocking panels on each side to keep conversations private. This isn't some clunky metal box. It looks cool. It's easy to put your phone in and take out of throughout the day whatever you want privacy. You can't be too careful these days and the Refuge Ghost Sleeve can help keep you safe. Visit refugeprivacy.com today. Use the code FEARLESS to save 10% off your order. That's refugeprivacy.com with the promo code FEARLESS for 10% off. Let's make it less personal. Joe Biden, like all, in my view, establishment politicians, regardless of political party, they all seem to be in on Ukraine and this war. And I, 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 don't, I don't like it. And I see it as, in, this again, another reason why I'm a big fan of yours, just the legacy of the Kennedys and, and trying to get us out of these endless wars that, that Biden and just all the establishment politicians seem to be all in on. I am right for thinking you're not one of those guys.
2: No, I'm the opposite of one of those guys. You know? And I, you're right that it, you know, it's a civil rights issue. And it's uh, Martin Luther King died in that. Um, battle, you know, he he really broke with some of the other leadership of the civil rights movement in 1968, and um, they they said we should stay in our lane, we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't get involved in the Vietnam. And he said, you can't separate these issues. That war is destroying the middle class, destroying the working poor, it's draining all the money from the war on poverty, and you can't be instruments of violence abroad and not expect that to come home. At, you know, forty, as my father said. of every um, paratrooper division in Vietnam was black. And, uh, you know, if you're black in this country and you're not a sports figure like you, um, you know, a stellar sports figure or a musician, you really have one path
1: out of, uh, out of- I do want to correct you. I'm mostly here on my good looks. I yeah. was just an average. I forgot athlete. to. I forgot to. <laughs> I mean, there is a beauty. There's that. a beauty privilege. So. I apologize. Okay. thank you.
2: <laughs> but you know, there. You know, there, there are other things paths out, but the one reliable path is the military. And you know, you, there's a lot of black kids who say, "Okay, I'm going to get insurance, health insurance. I'm going to get housing. I'm going to get a salary. Um, I'm going to get some opportunities elsewhere in the world." And then um, you know, but then you know the, the downside is you have to learn to kill people and get used to it. And, uh, and you know, then if then you spend the rest of your life uh, recovering from PTSD and the addiction, and alcoholism. That is, you know, part of the cause of that. Oh, my father died in a campaign against the war. My uncle. Um, President Kennedy refused to send combat troops anywhere in the world to die during his administration. He sent 16,000 military advisors to Vietnam and then ordered them all home one month before he died on October 22, 1963. He learned that 75 Green Berets had died over there. They weren't supposed to be participating in combat. And he said, that's too many. And uh, he signed an executive order that afternoon ordering them all home. And a month later to the day, he was killed. And a week after that, Johnson remanded the order. Now, Ukraine, we've already said $113 billion over. Uh, President Biden this week is asking for another $24 billion. So the entire budget of EPA is, you know, $12 billion. And, and that's what we got. And, and you have won you have 57% of the people in this country who can't put their hands on a thousand dollars if they have an emergency in the family. For Those are people, if the engine light comes on in their car, uh, it's the apocalypse for them. And you have uh, 30 million people being cut from food stamps, 15 million from Medicare. We don't have enough money. And yet we've got money for Ukraine. And the bad thing about the Ukraine war is that it was unnecessary. My son was over there fighting the Ukraine. He fought in the Kharkiv offensive. He joined the Foreign Marine Legion. He didn't tell me. He he left law school and he went over there and fought. And I have great, like him, sympathy for the, uh, and admiration for the valor of the Ukrainian people. But what we now know is that the Russians tried um, assiduously to settle this war so oh, the Russians initially, you know, we helped overthrow the government in, uh, of the Ukraine, the, the elected government in 2014, the new government that we helped put in place. We actually picked the cabinet, Victoria Nuland, the, the deputy secretary of state, picked the cabinet a month before the coup d'etat. and. Um, and they immediately launched war against the ethnic Russians and Dubas and Lugaz, Lugansk, which are which is 95% ethnic Russians. The, 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 Putin was worried about that, and he was worried about um, NATO moving into the Ukraine and the US military moving into the Soviet port of Vladivostok, which has been their port for 347 years, which is part of Crimea. And, um, but, and the people of uh, Donbass and Lugansk voted 90 to 10 to join Russia because they were getting killed. And Putin said, I don't want you. He said, but let's settle this. Let, and he proposed a deal that was approved by France and Germany. It was called the Minsk Accords. That the people of Lugansk would be a semi-autonomous region within, within Ukraine, that they would be able to speak their own language, which had been outlawed. And they, um, and they would be protected from violence by their government, by the ultra-nationalists who we had put in power. And um, France agreed to it, Germany agreed to it, Russia agreed to it. The Ukrainian parliament would not ratify it, but then Zelensky ran in 2019, and he, here's a guy who's a comedian and an actor. He's never been in politics and yet he wins with 70% of the vote. Why? Because he ran on a peace platform, because the people of Ukraine did not want war with Russia. He promised that if he got into power, he would sign the Minsk Accords. What happens? He gets in power, and for some mysterious reason, he pivots and says he won't sign it. Why did that happen? I have to believe, and I think most people believe, and he was threatened with death by the Azov Battalion, which is this you know Nazi um, battalion in Ukraine that you know runs a lot of the um, of uh, Western Ukraine, and by the United that he was threatened by the United States and told he that he would lose our support if he made peace with Russia because the neocons in the White House, these groups called this group called neo neocons, neoconservatives, which now runs U.S. foreign policy. Anthony Blinken um, uh, and uh, Avril Avril and a number of others—they wanted the war with Russia, and um, and then in so the Russians go in, but they only send forty thousand troops. This is a nation of forty-four million people. Heavens, three three and a half million. They know, They clearly don't want to conquer the country, although we say, oh, he's conquering the country, but he only sent in 40,000 troops. He clearly just wants us at a negotiating table. So, uh, so then Zelensky goes to the negotiating table in April of 2022 and says, and they sign an agreement which is the Minsk Accords 2.0. It's just the Minsk Accords, and, and agreeing that NATO will never go into Ukraine, which is what Putin was terrified, but, you know, the Russians have been invaded three times through the Ukraine. The last time they were invaded in World War II, one out of every seven Russians died. So they have a national security interest in that country. They don't want US missile systems there. We already put missiles in Romania and Poland 12 minutes from the Kremlin, from the We could decapitate the Russian leadership in 12 minutes and and uh, destroy their nuclear capacity. That's destabilized the entire region. The Russians do not want it in Ukraine or 400 miles from Moscow. So, um, so Zelensky and Putin initial the agreement. And Putin, in good faith, is moving the troops out of Ukraine. And what happens? President Biden sends the former uh, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson to the Ukraine to torpedo that agreement. And they forced Zelensky to tear it up. And that's why we have a war and 400,000 Ukrainian kids have now died in a, in a war that should have never happened. Every one of those kids has a mother, and now, you know, they're running out of troops. a war we can never win. The Russians, it would be like Mexico beating us in a war that we wouldn't let it happen. Russians have a, have a, a million reserve, they have 300,000 reserve troops that they're holding, you know, because they're trying, they're doing this in a way that is, uh, you know, that is calculated. They do not want to have a war with NATO. If they could overrun Ukraine over there, and Ukraine has no men left. Ukraine is out of men. There's so many people have died there. Are, I think 400,000 dead and another 100,000 amputees. Um, they, they had of, uh, and by the way, when, when Biden was asked, um, why are we in Ukraine? What did he say? He didn't say for Ukrainian freedom. He said, we want regime change in Russia, which is what they actually want. And when his defense secretary, Lloyd Austin, in April, the, the month they torpedoed the agreement, when he was asked, what are you doing there? He says, well, our objective is to exhaust the Russian army and degrade its capacity to fight anywhere else in the world. Uh, that's not about Ukrainian freedom. That is you know, trapping Ukraine as a pawn in a geopolitical proxy war between two great powers.
1: So CNN and MSNBC would just say, you're a Putin apologist. Yeah,
2: and they, that, of course that's what they say, but that's not an argument, is it, Jason? No. No, okay, let's have some facts. And they said that, you know, uh, about my father in Vietnam. They called him, you know, the New York Times called him Ho Chi Kennedy and said he was a borderline traitor when he ran for president. They did the same thing to Tulsi Gabbard, you know, who fought for our country in combat and was decorated. And they called her, you know, uh, uh, they said Hillary Clinton said she was on Putin's payroll. Of course, you know, this is what they do. And, and of course, when, you know, the Iraq war, when my uncle stood up against that, they, you know, they, uh, they, uh, my, uh, Uncle Teddy, they called him a traitor. So, you know, this is what they do to keep this is what the military industrial complex does to keep, you know, this game going, this eternal pipeline of forever wars. And you know who pays for it who's fighting it, it's black kids, and it's the and the poor communities that are ultimately being robbed through the stealth tax of inflation. We spent $8 trillion on forever wars since 2002, beginning with the biggest one, $4.4 trillion in Iraq. Okay, what do we get for that? Here's what we got. Iraq is worse off than we found it. We killed more Iraqis than Saddam Hussein. We killed between 675,000 and, and a million Iraqis. Iraq is now a, um, just a, you know an incoherent battle between Shia and Sunni death squads. We pushed Iraq into a proxy position with Iran, which is the exact foreign policy outcome that we'd always been trying to avoid. The spillover war in Syria, we created ISIS. We created ISIS. We drove two million refugees into Europe, which is why Brexit happened. You know, we, we broke up the European Union. And the, uh, and the riots that you're seeing in France right now, we destabilized every democracy, liberal democracy in Europe for the next two generations. The, uh, you know, the, the, the riots you're seeing now in France are a direct result of our you know, Iraq and Syrian adventures. Oh, that's what we got for that eight trillion dollars, and you know American kids are going to be paying the price of that for uh, for generations. Oh, it's not a good it's not a good economic plan.
1: I, I hate to move to the this couple other topics I want to get to before I let you go, because right now I, I want to run to my bank account and just donate to your campaign. <laughs> love it, Lo- I love it, but but where we do disagree is. It, it, you you made the point about, you know, who pays the price for it, black kids. I, I somewhat disagree with that or tend to disagree with that. I think working class uh, kids. I, I, I should have said that. Are, are in our military. Point taken, my bad. And, and, and it, it's, it's, it's the truth. The, 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 and 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 many of them are there out of their sincere patriotism for this country. And, and they're confused right now because all of their leadership is basically preaching that we should all hate our country. But this, this leads me to, I want you to help me you understand. Know,
2: I have, I would say I have, you know, one of my strongest constituency is veterans, is the veterans know what's happening. And they, uh, uh, you know, um, and they, you know, they know, they see what happened. And they, you know, they went in there for idealism and a lot of them feel
1: tricked. Yes. and. and mm-hmm. I want you, this is an area where we really disagree, but you're a traditional Democrat in some respects. Explain to this black man who comes from, again, father didn't graduate high school, factory worker, graduated Ball State with a 2.3 GPA. I got a 900 on my SAT. I don't believe in affirmative action. I believe in throwing people into the ocean and making them learn to swim. That's what happened to me. I, I, that's, I'm, and if I pardon the arrogance, I'm the best sports writer of the last 30 years, and it's not because anybody did any favors for me. I was thrown into the ocean at five dollars. Graduated from college, first person in my family to graduate from college. I had to take a five dollar an hour job because when I graduated from college, I wasn't as prepared as my peers. I played football, I drank beer, I socialized. I didn't do the internships. I wasn't as prepared. I had to take a five-dollar-an-hour job at the Bloomington Herald Times and had to play catch-up. No one did me any favors. No one gave me uh, some, oh, your affirmative action. You don't have to learn how to write as well as everybody else. I got thrown in the ocean and I learned how to swim. Th- that's what men do, and so that's why I don't believe in affirmative action. Any place that black people have been put in the ocean, and so hey, swim or you're gonna die, and we've swam. Now, if you cripple us, and tell, hey, now you don't have to learn how to swim. We're gonna throw you guys uh, lifeboats, and what are the, I can't even name the things they, raps, or I I can't really. We're gonna throw you all these other things so you don't have to learn how to swim. Eventually, you're gonna drown. But the only way to make it in this world is to learn how to swim, and and to take these crutches off of people. I I just don't believe in affirmative action.
2: Well, you know, I, um, I understand everything that you say, and those arguments are all very persuasive, especially coming from you. And I also think that there's other arguments that you can add to that, which is that if you, you know, a lot of kids will see a black kid in the college with him, you know, with them, and think he's here because of affirmative action. He's not here because he earned it. And I think that that's kind of a... There's a stealth prejudice and bigotry that comes along with that. So I, I think there's good arguments against it. And, you know, the Supreme Court now has uh, has paid attention to those arguments and the law has changed. Um, I was asked about what I felt about that law. And I said I supported it. I think it was too early to change it. I, you know, the law was always intended as a bridge to a, a time when, um, you know, when we would overcome, not slavery, but Jim Crow. You know, I grew up, you know, in Virginia when it was illegal for a black man to marry a white woman. I had a, there was a, a, a uh, an African-American um uh, handyman who worked for my family for, you know, my my whole early life named Bill Shamwell. And he had, uh, a, he was six foot five, served in the Seabees during World War II. And um, he, uh, he I, I loved to hunt from when I was a little boy. So he would take me hunting all over the state to catch hawks and, and to do uh, trapping. And we would drive all over Virginia. And when we came to a diner to get something to eat, I would have to go in and get the food for both of us. and We would eat in the car. It was illegal for him to go in there. It was illegal. He asked me one day to take him to Salona Village shoes, because he was not allowed in a shoe store. And when I had to go in and pick up the shoes his size, he tried them on on the sidewalk, sitting sitting on the curb. And if they didn't fit him, it was tough luck. He couldn't return them. And that's why, at that you know period, a lot of blacks had um, corns on their feet because you know they were stuck with whatever shoe they got. And um, And black black business was specifically targeted for destruction. So you had this, now my father in 1966 started um, Bedford-Stuyvesant Restoration because he walked through one of the poorest neighborhoods in New York, which is Bed-Stuy. And Bed-Stuy was very poor by all the indicia by which you measure poverty, but it had a unique aspect to it, which it it had a lot of home ownership, that was by the people who lived in those homes, which was unusual because Harlem and Brooklyn and other parts of Brooklyn it was mainly absentee landlords and so he decided to and there was a, there was a, a spirit in the community of ownership, and he decided to kind of make that his base and um, after he died. I sat on the board of Bedford Synthesis and Restoration for almost 40 years, and watched that community get restored. Um, and you know, one of the things my father did is he he made capital access easier. He gave some advantages to make easier access to capital, but he also gave uh, training mentorship. They brought in Alex Meyer of Lazard and Freres, really big business owners, Tom Watson of IBM and many, many others. And he got them to spend a day a week in that community teaching local black business owners just basic rules because he knew if he wanted to start a business, he knew 20 people who went to Harvard Law Business School and who would be able to coach them and teach them. These at black business owners, people who were entrepreneurial in spirit, they had no training that allowed them to do that. And so the purpose of Affirmative action and, and because of the efforts that we made in that neighborhood, that neighborhood, which was all boarded up when my father walked through it in 1966, today is flourishing. There's, all the storefronts are occupied, and, and you know, it's, on Fulton Street, it's booming. And what Affirmative Action was, do, was meant to do was to give... Um, uh, blacks who were entrepreneurial had the energy to apply. Give them that opportunity to get to the same kind of training as whites so that they could compete you know, on a even level. And I think that that's important. Now, I want to tell you this. This is probably the most important argument, is places like Harvard or Yale, for example, allow, I don't know, up to a third of the people who get in are legacies. So that means that they're in there because their father and grandfather went there. Okay, no legacy is black. It is an affirmative action program for white people. Um, President Bush, George W. Bush famously, got gentleman's ease when he was in high school, but he was able to get into Yale because of affirmative action for white people. Uh, we don 't have a meritocracy in these colleges anyway and the 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 one affirmative action program that is inviolable is a legacy program and it is the opposite of a meritocracy, and it doesn 't have any black people oh you you alma if you 're going to really say. Pretend that there's a meritocracy going on American universities. If you want to get rid of affirmative action, you you ought to get rid of uh, the legacy
1: program. I, I, I don't disagree with any of that. I feel blessed that I didn't get recruited to go to an Ivy League school. I don't I wouldn't want to deal with that indoctrination. I wanted to be at a place where I could compete and no one would have to bend over backwards. I've listened to Thomas Sowell, who is taught at these Ivy League schools, talk about sometimes when he's teaching kids that can't can do the level of work when you're dealing with the highest IQ. And again, I get the affirmative action deal for both sides. But there are also some really, really high IQ people oh, at yeah. these schools. And if, if they can't oh, keep well, up with I the work. I intimidated.
2: I had the best education possible. And, you know, when I went to Harvard, I felt you're sitting there thinking I'm the stupidest person in this class, you know. And that's how you feel. Like everybody feels like that. And uh, and so and if you really don't have some of the essentials, you know, I, and I understand it and I've heard that argument for against affirmative action, also that you know the, the, um, the traditional black colleges, uh, you know, were really a, 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 you know a, a a fertile landing ground for for blacks who could um, compete in those, you know in those, um, Landscapes and those ecosystems, and uh, and come out with a confidence which, maybe competing against people who are sort of the best of the best of the best at everything they do, robs you of confidence. It's like you know, it's like when you play hockey.
1: Well, it's no different than uh, I, I look at a lot of black leftists, particularly in the media, and their whole worldview is. They need the support of a white liberal to survive and achieve. I've never thought that. And, and that most is like more than anything, and I know you know this, and so I'm preaching to the choir, but more than affirmative action, what black kids need is daddy. They need a Jimmy Whitlock like I had, who didn't graduate from high school, but didn't tolerate any excuses. And and never for one minute, he quit his factory job because his supervisor complained about him reading the autobiography of Malcolm X on his lunch break. He was like, man, ain't nobody gonna tell me what to read. So I'm gonna start my own business, do my own thing. He put that mentality in me and my brother and, and me and my brother done really well. For both graduated from college, my brother, you know, I've done better financially, but my brother's wife, kids, successful marriage, executive at Ford, now retired. uh, They need we need dads. And so I wish that liberals a lot of times would talk more about the need for dads than affirmative action. I'm not going to keep you any longer. I was going to argue with you about abortion, but I'm not because you've already kind of bent on the. Affirmative action thing. You've already bent a little bit. And so I'm going to leave here on a very happy note (laughs) and start thinking about ways I can funnel you and your campaign money. Man, love, respect, and appreciate what you're doing. Thank you so much for giving us this time, and we will be praying for you. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate it. Thank you. We'll talk about abortion next (laughs) time. All right, that's tomorrow. We'll see you next week.
0: For freedom, looking for a breakout, feeling like a standoff, nothing in life like freedom. Came like a fighter, striking like a ladder making all this moves for freedom. I want freedom. No negotiation, my system, no relation, we all just wanna have freedom Sitting on the corner, never been alone, i am breaking my back for freedom Bless, we are living, get back, we are receiving, no deceiving, we all wanna be free We want freedom I just want, I wanna be, I just want, I wanna be, I just want, I
1: wanna be I want.